So you are always going to need a good project manager. You're always going to need a good budget person. You're always going to need you know, someone who can um, really think about business process improvement. We should be, I think, as, as afraid of the robots as we are of the zombie apocalypse. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. This is part two of our discussion with ACCT's senior policy analyst, Allison Beer, and Michael Karen, head of corporate social responsibility at Guardian Life Insurance Company, and Angie Kamath, dean of continuing education and workforce at the City University of New York. Guardian partnered with ACCT on the development of a recently released white paper called Partnerships for a Future-Ready Workforce, which details how community colleges and businesses can form strong partnerships, national trends in employer needs and post-secondary attainment, and policies and practices that form a continuum of education and career training. WeWork is a really you know, huge entity that's kind of growing by leaps and bounds every year, and they have uh, community managers, kind of folks that are really kind of, it's, it's a job to kind of help to make connections between different tenants. And I actually think that this idea of a navigator kind of within a system, as Michael is saying, between systems, um, are really, really important. And I, again, I think in when we talk about evolving jobs and, and jobs that are going to get enhanced because of automation or that are going to be created by automation, I actually think the this higher level kind of cognitive skill of being able to make connections, being able to sort of see um, you know, how different systems might interplay, how technology might play a role to kind of facilitate either communication or connection. I actually think that that will be like a job that doesn't totally exist today in the mainstream. <laughs> or a badge. Or that, <laughs> that will exist yeah. in the future. Yeah. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, I agree. That's great. So let's like talk. Let's talk more about automation, right? We're talking about partnerships, but really wanting to explore how we develop partnerships to deal with the part, the future of work, or as Angie, as you said, work that is today. Right? We're already in the future. Um, so to pull some data into this, a lot of researchers predict that there will be job changes due to automation. Some say up to fifty percent of the workforce will be. Uh, replaced by automation or their job tasks will be significantly changed as soon as the year 2030. That's fast approaching. Um, so do we need to be afraid of the robots? Um, and what kind of strategies can community colleges and businesses do to um, face the sea change? Well, I mean, um, we should be, I think, as, as afraid of the robots as we are of the zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's, it, 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 I think we, we, we create a lot of fiction around this. Um, and, uh, and, and certainly we have lessons from the past where the introduction of automation has displaced people. Um, I would say in large part that disruption uh, had everything to do with ad, uh, employers who were taking advantage of, of the technology, but also those same employee, employers who had not thought about um, the, the the societal, social, um, employee impact of, of, of the, the change that was happening. I think we're in a different place now where employers think about the impacts of their work. Uh, people are much more sensitive. Uh, the people's buying pref preferences for products and services is attuned in a different way. So you have to treat people with, with, with equity. Now that doesn't mean that people's uh, jobs aren't going to be unaffected by uh, automation, um, particularly repetitive jobs. But what 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 the what the robots can't do now, and I'm I'm thinking that this is probably something that they're not going to be able to do in in the very near future, at least, is be creative uh, and bring people together. So if the if the task is uh, what was the, the, the quote um, uh, that I I heard and, and or read 
management or something like that. But if the, if the task is, um, uh, is uh, repetitive but complex, uh, the robot is, is good for that. If the uh, uh, task is um, uh, independent uh, uh, of uh, a, a clear linear way of going thing, get, getting things done, uh, robots are terrible at that. So, so should we fear the robot? Um, no, but we should work. Remember, we're, we're, we're its overlords and, and um, that not the other way around. So I, I think that if particularly em employers um, have a commitment to continual learning on the part of their employees and provide them with opportunities to do that and are sensitive enough to help them deal with change and they can partner with higher education institutions uh, in order to fully take advantage of both the opportunities that automation provides as well as the limitations that it does and the implications that it has for being successful at work. That's the best of all possible worlds. So fear the robots. Uh, I think it's a little early to fear the robots. Work with the robots. Absolutely. So automation is a really interesting trend. I mean, I would argue that in healthcare, electronic health records, um, you know, that was automation um, and kind of thinking about jobs differently. So I think that, you know, World Economic Forum released their report this week, and I think um, the bell curve of, you know, 75% of jobs will be enhanced. And then on either end, you know, an equal portion will be either replaced or created in terms of jobs. And I, I, I kind of look at that reality and think that the enhancement of jobs due to technology has been happening for quite some time, right? I think that, um, you know, what used to be uh, modeling and finance now, now largely kind of happens in an automated way. I think what used to be kind of, you know, um, uh, a lot of the admin in, in medical offices now kind of is done by electronic health records. So I think that there's plenty of change that we've um, uh, undertaken already. I think that Burning Glass has done some really great research looking at kind of the 14 skills for the future and I think that we look at that a lot and I think the, the skills that are needed that are kind of again right now showing up in the job postings that have a premium in terms of the pay that is given to folks who, who possess those skills, that will only increase and I think the three um, skill categories are data um, and kind of technical skills. So managing data, communicating data, analyzing data, some of the hard technical um, uh, skills in terms of web or, or uh, software development, but that's only half the story. I think the other half of the skills story is business enabling skills. So you are always going to need a good project manager. You're always going to need a good budget person. You're always going to need um, you know, someone who can um, really think about business process improvement um, and kind of the, the digital transformation work um, that's happening kind of across the board. You're going to need folks who need to do that. And then that third skill bucket is just the simple human cognitive skill, right? So I think about my own staff and you know, I wish I had more folks who had you know, strong supervisory experience, folks who could kind of really enable teamwork and leadership and um, you know, managing and mentoring. Those are, again, skills, as Michael said, that aren't really going anywhere. Um, and quite frankly, I think they're going to be at a premium. So how does that translate back to the community college? I think there's digital skilling that we can do for in the community college. I think there's business enabling skills that we can offer um, in community colleges. And I think there's that, just those core kind of human cognitive skills that are have always been important and I think are increasingly so. Um, and one can get those skills in coursework. They can get it in non-credit coursework. Um, in experiential learning, in internships, in a variety of ways. But I, I feel pretty excited because I think that one doesn't have to be a STEM major to do any of those um, or to acquire any of those skills. You can be for sure, but I think um, we think a lot about you know what, what do we want you know our eighteen year olds? You know, is it reasonable to imagine an eighteen year old declaring a major day one that they want to be X when they grow up? That's not all that 
reasonable of an expectation. So I think we have to be able to enable these types of um, skill acquisition for anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone who wants it. No question. I mean, I think that um, you know one good example of this was uh, with the automation of health records and um, uh, several um, uh, health um, systems that have implemented new in, uh, uh, record keeping uh, processes. Um, actually uh, recognized that the, the, the biggest thing that was going to enhance their system and enhance their, their patient care uh, was giving doctors and, and nurse practitioners an additional person who's in that room who's dealing with the technology and recording and listening to what the conversation is um, with that patient um, so that, that there can be more accuracy and, 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 and really more depth in diagnosis. Um, so if a doctor or a nurse was sitting at the computer at the same time that they're talking to a patient, that conversation is derivative. The patient may not be sharing with them as much as possible. Uh, there might not be a natural conversation flow. Um, if the doctor or the nurse practitioner is removed from that, you have a skilled person who's operating the system and listening to the conversation. Uh, that's a tool that the medical care providers can use to reflect on. Um, they can double check for accuracy. Um, and, and, it, and most importantly, it gives the patient the experience that's going to be most optimal for them, where they have 100% of the attention of that caregiver. Um, that's a role that wasn't around four years ago. Um, and it's, it's not a role where you need to be a technology major to do it. Um, if you can operate a PC, generally speaking, you can, you can be in that role. Um, but it also helps, helps, to, helps you to become uh, someone who can promote uh, a more empathetic setting with, with that patient. There's no shortage, whether it's in, in healthcare or any other field, there's no shortage in um, uh, roles that are going to, to be characterized by that kind of uh, human exchange with, uh, uh, with a machine uh, for the betterment of the human condition. So how, how should we prepare for this, right? Because it's clear that there are already these new emerging skill sets that students need to develop and that businesses are looking for. But it's also clear that five years from now, there might be new skill sets and new jobs and new industries. And as we talked about earlier, when businesses approach community college, colleges with a crisis, I need a thousand people trained on this software by tomorrow, things start to break down. What should we be doing now so we don't get to that point in five years? No, I think for me it goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier is that if you're going to commit to a partnership, commit to the partnership for the long term. And, and don't, don't mistake dollars for partnership. Um, I think those are those are two important things, right? So um, you gotta, you know, let's let's throw some cliches around for a second. You know, you gotta, you gotta walk before you can run. Um, you gotta crawl before you can walk. Um, so you have to enter into these partnerships in a developmental way, um, and 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 be able to, you know, lay yourself bare and say, this is what I really need. At least this is what I need now. And and here are some of the core anchor skill sets that my business really has, even if it's not the in-demand thing that I need now. Let's start working on that over time. And if you make that commitment, you make that commitment the long term, uh, you, won't be faced, you won't be faced with the crisis and you'll be able to anticipate, we, who knows what the technology is going to be. I mean, five years before the iPhone came out, um, you know, we were touting the flip phone. 
um, as the be all and end all. And then five years after the, 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 the smartphone came, the iPhone came out, now we're, you know, there's one phone that I saw, it's on like a terabyte worth of memory in it or something like that. It's frightening what, what it can do. Um, we didn't know, we're not, we didn't know that was going to happen. We had an inkling it would change, but we didn't know what specifically it would be. Um, so you're never going to be able to predict the future with certainty, but you certainly can anticipate the future if you you're, you're have a strong enough partnership and you're honest enough with one another about what each entity can deliver. I think the thing that I think about a lot is um, giving our students agency, giving workers agency, right? So and I think by what I mean by that is, you know, we talk a lot, um, and I think we probably all agree lifelong learning is incredibly important, but I don't know that we make that always accessible, and I think that the kind of information out there of, you know, how do we take a healthcare worker or a teacher or someone who's working in government or someone who's working in retail and help them think about how to access um, affordably new skills, kind of what are those skills that are kind of in demand, and so sometimes we can work with employers to kind of, you know, upskill or offer kind of additional training. I think guild education is a really interesting disruptor to us. I mean, I think they work with a lot of um, more service-oriented companies. Um, they aggregate a lot of online um, kind of skill and credential-based you know, programs at, at higher ed institutions, and they really kind of make that accessible. Will those skills help the person their job that day? Maybe, or, you know, in that particular role? Maybe, maybe not. But I think that idea of agency, of giving people access um, to information and opportunity feels really important. Um, so I think it's not just about the student who's kind of coming into college. I think it's about the worker who um, is in a job either at their kind of forever company or a company that's kind of, you know, on their pit stop in their career journey. Um, but I think that we could be doing a better job from a public higher ed perspective. I think, quite frankly, um, some of the more expensive uh, boot camps um, have really disrupted, you know, our, our market. And I think that we have some catch up to do. Um, the idea of the kind of bite size, whether it's credential or the bite size boot camp, um, is really important. And I'm not surprised. Um, we work with General Assembly and we really respect them, but we're not surprised that they've been as wildly successful as they have been. They really kind of, you know, offer something of value that's respected, that's industry um, kind of endorsed in a, in a quick amount of time. It is expensive. But I think that there's really something for us to learn from those types of models. Great. Uh, building on this, I'm going to pull in a few more data points. Earlier this year, Gallup and Northeastern University did a survey on artificial intelligence and the feelings among Americans and changes that are coming. 73% of people from their survey think that artificial intelligence will lead to overall job loss or job change but only 23% of people actually fear losing their, old, their own job. So I think there's a disconnect there between people recognizing that change is gonna happen and actually thinking this could happen to me. In the same vein, when you ask people, if change does affect your job, who should provide the training, your employer or a college or university? Over half of the people think that training should come from their employer. Right? So how do we think about balancing what employers do to train their employees either in-house or partnering with the community college and what needs to come from more of a traditional academic program? Well, I, you know, I think, um, first of all, I, I love the, the, the data um, on, you know, it can't happen here kind of thing. <laughs> right. it's, it's happening all around me, but it's not going to happen to me. Um, that uh, I think that 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 in itself is telling, and that um, 
the partners at the table, no matter what, what we're talking about, but I'll start with companies, you have to be able to say to your employees, it can happen here. It is going to happen here. It's an expectation that it happens here. Um, you know, planned obsolescence is not just a thing for automobiles anymore. You try to obsolete what you do in your business every single day. So people have to um, continually be learning. Um, sometimes employers can handle that well. Sometimes they're not at all equipped to do that. Um, and the key, I think, when it comes to you know sort of implications for then helping people to understand the value of a community college uh, is by being able to acknowledge as a company, hey, we can't give you this, but we can partner with someone who can give you this, and it's going to be beneficial to you uh, in the long run. Lifelong learning is, uh, Angie, as you said um, earlier, um, lifelong learning is not a natural thing for lots and lots of people. I would argue that in large part, younger folks are oriented to this because the, the things have changed so rapidly in their in their lifetimes. But but older workers, um, you know, I, I think about the worker whose job might be at risk, and the employer says, "You should go to this community college. There's a series of, of, of micro courses and credentials that you can get that will make you really marketable for us and, and help our business. Um, but if you don't, you know, don't get that, and we can't provide it to you. You're going to be in trouble." Um, and that worker just happens to have a bachelor's degree. Well, why would I go back to a community college? Well, it's not about the venue. It's about the knowledge, and it's about it's about you know upskilling and continuing and lifelong continuous learning. So I think that the, the the onus really has to be on the employer to be very very uh, candid. And some employers are great at providing very targeted uh, work uh, to the point, Angie, that you were making earlier about uh, about general assembly. It is terribly expensive, but it is exactly what lots and lots of people need. Um, I think community colleges offer at least that, if not more. Uh, at a much lower price point in a place that actually surrounds the learner with the kind of supports that are needed for them to feel emotionally and psychologically aligned with doing this new thing. Doing a new thing is hard for lots and lots of people. Yeah. We, um uh, ran a campaign recently where we, we reached back out uh, reached back out to students who left our system without the degree, so kind of prior to completion, and um, we went, went out to thousands of them. And I want to say ninety one percent of folks said they want to come back. They would love to finish their degree. And then we started asking additional questions of, do you think you can do that in the next year? Do you want to return back to the same institution? You started having the funnel effect where it kind of you know hard for folks to imagine kind of immediately, but a significant portion, well over half, wanted to do it within the next six months. And so I, I share that because I think that um, education and kind of trying to um, you know get more skills is very important. It's top of mind. It's an ambition for folks. We now are looking at our own system to sort of say, okay, for those. Um, workers who maybe see the writing on the wall, as Michael is describing, who know that they need to get some kind of skilling, they want to do it in a way that's going to work for themselves, their family, their pocketbook, or their wallet, um, you know, evening courses, weekend courses, online courses, kind of that accessibility is incredibly important. I think that that's definitely an area for um, improvement and innovation kind of within community colleges, kind of really thinking about that adult learner. I know within our system, we have um, worked incredibly hard over the past 15 years to smooth out that high school to college pipeline and to kind of really focus on remediation and really focus on access and on college readiness. Um, we focused um, less but are kind of increasing our level of focus on what to do to bring those learners back who have been out in the workforce who may be left without a credential or a degree or have a credential or degree but need a different one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's a real um, wonderful opportunity to experiment, to think about kind of 
how we operate from a customer service lens um, as higher education to be more responsive, um, not just to employers, but to, to individuals as well. Mm -hmm. Hey, I think it's a good point about adult learners and something that's happened over the last 10 years. You know, During the recession, data shows that a lot of older adults went back to school and we expect that that had to do with not so great of a job market and when the job market isn't great you go to school right but now we're dealing with a good economy but we're still expecting more adult workers to go back to school right so we're in a good economy we still need to think about adult workers they still need these skills yeah, right yeah. Um, well in a good economy the churn of your employees at a company goes goes up i mean companies that run operations locations call centers and the like already see 25 to 30% churn annually. Uh, when you're talking about collections roles, you're talking about over 50% of people churn from those collections roles every, every year. So, so because the economy is, 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 is strong and because change is happening at such a rapid pace, those two things are the ingredient for continual learning. Um, and, and I think that demand will continue to be high. I think we have an incredibly uh, 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 transient workforce right now. People are willing to move. It's not like when I you know, started my career a long time ago where it was like, okay, I'll get a job and stay there for 20 years. People are just not interested in doing that. So the role is clearly there um, for continual learning. Um, and as I think uh, millennials uh, age, ultimately we all do, um, that uh, you know, they're going to take advantage of that because they're a little bit more programmed um, to be looking for new new experiences, new skills, new opportunities than than you know my the baby boomer generation was my generation. Right, and we can just finish up with some closing thoughts. Um, maybe one or two strategies that you'd like to leave community colleges and businesses with for how they can improve their partnerships, or any other thoughts about you know, preparing for today's work nature and tomorrow's. I think. Companies have a lot of, of assets to bring to bear, and so I think kind of really um, having college partners or from a college perspective, um, looking at the economy. Where do we think there's going to be a lot of change? Where is there a lot of growth right now? And then kind of talking to those employers and kind of really having an honest conversation about how can we work together? Maybe you will be a great hiring partner. Maybe you'd be a great training partner. Maybe you have access to kind of curriculum and and. Um, kind of skill development um, content that you could share with us so that we could kind of get a leg up or maybe you know we just really want to create some pipeline programs I just think that you know um, the sector approach and kind of looking at kind of what are the needs of a particular sector kind of not just one employer but kind of the body of, of um, or the cluster of employers that are operating in a particular sector, the needs tend to be pretty similar. And so I think if colleges can kind of think about things a little bit more from that workforce development lens of what do employers in this area of the economy need and want and how are they going to be changing and offering solutions um, in a really kind of, uh, you know, format of listening and kind of trying to figure out, um, you know, what are the pressures that companies are facing, that is a really important starting point that I, I think that we could all do a better job at. And I think if we if if we we focus, you know, the biggest thing for me across institutions, we we sh we, we must focus on the individual um, and give them uh, not only a, a set of options, but but a, a circumstance in which they can feel comfortable at doing whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, that's important in the workplace. That's important in in uh, the academic world. Um, it sounds really simple. It's the hardest thing that you can possibly do. 
um, uh, to make sure that people feel like there's an entry point, that there's an environment, and there's an exit point that they can go through and they're supported uh, and, and welcomed throughout. Um, but I think that that's really important. I've worked at a lot of different places, and I've had employers where, um, you know, you realize the, the, the third day that you're there, you, you, you kind of say to yourself, I, I have to come to this place every single day uh, for the rest of my life. This is not fair. And then there's other places I've worked, um, like the job I'm in now, where you go in and you feel like, you know, I can't get enough of this because I have such great opportunity here. I have good coworkers. I have support. Um, I, I have esteem. Uh, I have opportunities for growth. Uh, so I think that, that if we keep that at the forefront, all of this other sort of technical stuff that we talked about will fall into line um, because you'll be aligning you'll be aligning both the demand side and the supply side um, in a in a way that the commodity uh, that you're aligning it for uh, is really treated very valuably, and that's the, that's the people that we work with every day. Okay, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Angie. This has been a great conversation on partnerships for a future ready workforce. Thanks, Allison. Awesome. Thank you, Allison. Thank you for listening to this episode of In the Know with ACCT. Be sure to subscribe so you're notified when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We'll see you next week.